Welcome to the Real Music Talk Podcast. I'm Keith Hall, your host, and this is episode number 14. Today, we're going to talk to Dwayne Davis. Dwayne Davis is a premier educator uh, in the world of vocal music, uh, vocal jazz. Uh, He also sings himself, but this man has mentored so many musicians across the, the globe for decades. He is uh, very special to me on a personal level. Uh, I'm so happy that he was able to spend some time with us today. This is actually going to be uh, the first part of our conversation with Dwayne Davis. If you haven't subscribed yet to the podcast, please do so. And let's get right into this conversation with Dwayne Davis. Dwayne, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming on the Real Music Talk podcast. It's great to see you. I feel honored to just uh, be a part of the many wonderful people that you have included in your uh, real talk. Uh, you are definitely one of one of the important people. And we met when I was a student at Western Michigan University and you were teaching GC2. This is so funny. You know, these moments you just don't forget um, when you get a chance to do something for the first time. You invited me to play percussion which I had no business playing congas or timbales. I didn't know the first thing. <laughs> but you invited me to play on the Claire Fisher tune, Morning. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and that was my first encounter with you. And I was scared to death, actually. I thought, this guy's really cool. But wait a second. I'm kind of scared, though. <laughs> you never had a person of any fear as long as I've known you. <laughs> well, you have, you just have this really cool way of oh. um, embracing people and, and yet keeping them on edge sometimes in rehearsal to really get the, the best out of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's, re- it's really a special thing. But um, you grew up in Cleveland, right? You grew up in Cleveland. Yeah, how'd you get started in music? Probably to uh, many people, they never thought I should be in music just because I hadn't had any formal training. Hmm. And uh, I was always in music. I was always in choir. I was, music was my passion. Music was in our house all the time. Uh, Whether it was uh, listening to Billie Holiday, who was one of my mother's favorites, to to, uh, opera, you know, she took me to my first opera too. So we had all kinds of recordings in the house, but they, my parents couldn't really afford for me to have, lessons Mm. uh we didn't have a piano so i never studied privately until i went to college but i uh when i finished high school i thought i was going to be a court stenographer because i had real fast shorthand speed sang with cleveland orchestra and george zell and for a year and and my high school music teacher said you should be in college i'm going "Uh uh-huh I mean, I was just kind of an average student in some things and other things I excelled, as we all do, I guess. And um, I said, and what would I do in college? And she looked at me in a very sobering way and said, music, of course. And I was just kind of speechless. I said, Mrs. Christie, I love music. You know that. But I, 
I don't have the, you know, she said, just trust me. If you get in that right environment, it is going to bring out things in you that you just did not know. I'm forever grateful to her because she changed the course of my life. She, I think too often uh, young people have things in them that need to be tapped, need to be, you know, fertilized, need, and they don't know that they have that in them. So it was my high school music teacher who set me on the right course and, and going to college is where I met my wife for one thing. That was 1965. She didn't like me as a freshman in college because I was very good in theory. Have no idea why, except I was a good listener in choir and I, I just was like on top of it. And everyone else is sitting there going, um, uh, is that a perfect fifth? Um, <laughs> is that, and I was like, handing my paper to Dr. Pellegrini. And she goes, oh, you just think you're something. I'm going, am I supposed to sit there and act like I don't know? I mean, I just know it. Not because I'm cocky. I just happen to know it. Yeah. You want me to act stupid there? <laughs> and so, um, but there were things in college that were such a challenge. I almost flunked out my freshman year, actually, because I was taking French, Western Civ, biology, music history, music theory, voice, piano, and it was too much. I'm a slow reader. I'm still a slow reader. But one of my teachers came to me and said, uh, are you really studying? I said, honestly, I am not partying at night. It's just everyone gives me so much to read, and I have this many chapters in Western Civ and this much in Bible. It's just too much. And she said, do you have a, a, a reading disability? It's like, uh, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> she said, why don't you go to the reading lab and let them just check you? Hmm. Now, this is the first time I've ever been South. I was raised in Cleveland. My wife in Virginia went to school in Knoxville at Knoxville College. It was an amazing school, about 1,200 students, historically black college, founded in 1870-something, I think. I go to the reading lab uh, and they put these goggles on you and you have to click as it's going down. And she said, well, you're reading at a 10th grade level. She said, if you stay in here six weeks, I can bring your reading to where it should be, taking out articles and all of the connecting tissues. Boy went to store, bought bread, milk, cheese. Okay. So thank goodness I did that. Thank goodness there was a professor that recognized that there was some deficiency there. Thank goodness that I had the wherewithal to not be so boastful that I would not take that advice. And thank goodness I had that and had my shorthand, which I took notes in with my shorthand. So that got me through, you know, <laughs> until I could stand on my own. And I thought I was going to be a high school music teacher, a choral director because that's what my choir director did. And she was good. Oh my goodness. This lady was amazing. This is probably one of the first black women or men that I knew that was really a professional. She had a PhD in music. She had a master's in music and a master's in math. Uh, she had a 
uh, bachelor's in piano and math. Wow. She could sing arias. She could play. She could get down in the juggler of students that just needed to be shaken and stirred and speak their language. Or she could speak with the very, very highest of uh, eloquence. She was that kind of person that was no nonsense, that had a vested interest in her students. She just took me under her wing. That was Miss Christie. Automate Christie. She's no longer living. And the interesting thing is that she was my, she was my teacher until she died. I mean, literally, she would uh, call me up and she said, um, Dwayne, hi, Mrs. Christie. Oh, don't call me that. Call me Automate. Mm. Lady, I'm not going to call you no Automate. You are Mrs. Christie forever. <laughs> she's still Mrs. Christie and she's dead. Right. And she said, I see that you're doing a presentation at the American Choral Directors uh, Convention uh, coming up. Yes. Well, I'm very proud of you. When you're there, make sure that you talk with, and she's just still teaching me. Yes, Mrs. Christie. I'm 15 again. Mm. Oh, my life's never been the same because of that. That's so amazing. Those, those, types of people in our lives can just, as you said, can change your life and uh, their influence just stays with us forever. It does. It does. You're one of those people to thousands of students and musicians all over the world. Uh, you've, you've conducted choirs and taught at camps and universities, and you've done so many different things. Um, uh, for the past few decades, I know that when I meet someone that knows you, uh, they'll say something to the effect of, oh, oh, Dwayne Davis. Yeah, he's like a second father to me, <laughs> at which point I say, no, no, he's like my no. second father. <laughs> <laughs> so we all claim you as our second father or an uncle. You know, my kids know you as Uncle Dwayne. It's, it's amazing. A student said to me once, you can know what you do, but you will never know what your do does. And then I walked away and I sat in my car and I started crying. Oh my gosh, that is so deep mm. because we don't know what our do does. We don't know who's listening, who's observing, who's sometimes you think no one's listening in your class. Mm. And then years later, someone will come up to you and go, you know that time when you said, and I'm going, you really were listening. That's one of the benefits of living uh, for so long. I mean, it's been 51 years since I finished college. I've been married 51 years. It's a lot of students to go through your life. And it's not a one-way street. It wasn't always giving because I was getting. I mean, how many mistakes have I made over the years? And how many mistakes do I still make? But Thank goodness there's a forgiveness factor. Mm. There are people who will will accept you and will allow you to um, learn with them. You know, whether it was my church choir or whether it was the opera course. When I, I wasn't always 74, you know, yeah. I was 25 at one time or I was 30 and I was I was just young and green and not quite knowing. but the people that I was entrusted to teach or to lead uh, allowed me that grace of just 
discovering and learning and, and becoming better. Mm-hmm. And that leads me into the, the question I have for you. After 51 years of, of teaching and graduating uh, from college and being married and, and interacting with all these students, knowing everything that you know now, all the experiences, the traveling, uh, what would you go back and say to yourself in 1965? Ooh, I was so young and so doubtful of myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I always had um, a facade of confidence. And sometimes it was a facade. Even today, if if you're in a uh, doing something that's you might not feel so uh, prepared for, uh, you'll put up a, something to get you through it. And then you realize, well, I, I actually did kind of know that, you know, or I was prepared. I just didn't think I was. Mm-hmm. I would say to that young freshman kid that life has a plethora of things that is that you're going to experience to put in your basket. And you will probably never feel prepared for the many things that will come your way. And you just have, you know, I I tell students, I have to excuse myself to their teachers. I said, I know that we always tell students, you have to be goal oriented and you have to have a goal. And I I said, no, you shouldn't have a goal except big ones. I'm, I'm going to finish college or I'm going to do this big goals but not finite goals because you don't know everything that's within you, your capabilities. And I would tell myself to not set goals. And I never really have set goals either. I wasn't uh, smart enough to set goals or uh, I don't know. I just have always gone with wherever the wind took me. And I have never regretted it. It's just like you, you're going along and here comes some wind and wind you cannot see. You see the results of it, right? That's right. That's right. Like the leaves go like that and you're going, whoa. But you can't see what did it. The wind in my life has said, I'm coming, but you don't know that I'm coming. And you're going straight, but whoosh, And all of a sudden you're going in a different direction. Maybe fearful. Because someone said, oh, you should audition as chorus master for the opera. And I'm going, I don't know anything about opera. I mean, except I went to Tosca when I was eight years old. My mother took me. That was the last opera I did with the opera chorus, by the way, is Tosca Hmm. after 31 years. But I said, I don't know anything about opera. But yet my church choir direct uh, uh, member said, oh, you should audition for that because you could do that real well. She believed that I could. I didn't think I could. But I said, well, I can audition. I did, and I got it. Now, what did I do in that audition that allowed that to happen? Was it the way I communicated with the the people? They were doing uh, La Boheme at the time. I could read Italian because that was the language. I mean, that's I learned that in college. But how do you talk to a an opera course member? It's not like my high school students or anything. So 
that's been the story of my life. I would tell my 18-year-old self to go with it, even when you don't believe. Because if someone has enough guts to believe you can, there must be something within you that is telling them that. First time I taught at Western. <laughs> Steve's agree said, oh, I'm going on a sabbatical. Would you Would you uh, direct Gold Company this year while I'm gone? And I'm going, you got to be out of your mind. Because Gold Company to me was just the highest level of singing in that genre of music. I said, no, I can't do that. He goes, yeah, you can. (laughs) (laughs) And if he hadn't thought that I could and entrusted me to do that, I never would have. But he believed I could. So I did. That's, That's everything in my life. Yeah. I applied for one job. And that job was my very first year of teaching. Everything else in my life has been a result of someone seeing my groups, someone meeting me, someone, it's been word of mouth, everything. And it's, that's jarring to me. They saw something in you when you were younger and believed in you and then continued through your career as an educator. I just love how Dwayne talked about the importance of educators and educators seeing things in us and believing in us and the idea of Miss Christie, how she completely changed the direction of his life. And uh, educators are so important. And Dwayne Davis is certainly one of those important educators in my life. And that was part one of our conversation with Dwayne Davis. Join us again for part two. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a comment and a rating and tell your friends. And in the meantime, be who you be and do what you do. Take care.